Welcome back to the Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and in this interview, you will meet Dallas Cayley. Dallas is a software developer and author with over 15 years of professional experience in many languages, including Python. Dallas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good, glad to be here. Yes, I'm glad you're here too. So, uh, just a little icebreaker. What instrument do you play? Uh, you see that uh, behind me. Yes. Um, so if your viewers, your listeners probably can't see what, I'm, what you're seeing, but I play guitar primarily. I also play bass, uh, drums a little bit, keyboard a little bit. I have a couple different bands. But, uh, and, and those bands I'm playing guitar and singing. Cool. Excellent. And where did you get the idea for the Minimum Viable Programmer, the book that you recently well, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, there's a lot of people that I know who are not programmers. You know, they do other things. Mm -hmm. and, and like uh, my ex-wife, for example, she's a real estate agent. Um, and, you know, they have great jobs or okay jobs. But uh, I know a lot of people who are not exactly happy with what they do. Yeah, I have a, my best friend, he's a, he's a medical billing guy, right? And so I've been talking to these couple of people my bass player from one of my bands, she does graphic design. Um, it, I've been talking to these people for years saying, you know, it's not really that complicated to program. You know, I just, I just started from nothing. Now, granted, I've been doing it since I was a kid. I did actually start when I was a kid, but um, I've been trying to push this point to them. It's like, all you gotta do is learn some basic stuff and you can get an entry level job in this industry and then you build yourself up from there, which is exactly what I did. And so I've, I've been wanting to write a book about this for many years as well. And uh, I got that opportunity last year as a result of a motorcycle accident. Um, so I had a motorcycle accident uh, and uh, as a result of that, I had to be home for a month or so. It wasn't that bad. Um, but I had this time on my hands where I could actually focus on writing a book. And I said, you know what, what, what the heck? I'll try to do it. And so this is the first time I, I approached the book in a, like a systematic way, which was to write a table of contents first. Yeah. and organize my thoughts and then actually fill in the gaps after that. And so <laughs> the, this book is for people who don't know anything at all about programming. Yeah. What, uh, just, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, you know, blow it for folks, but like right from like the very first sentence, like, <laughs> like when did that, you know, when did that pop up? Was that towards the end or the beginning or? <laughs> oh, the book is written, the, the, the book, you're reading the book in the, in the order that I wrote it. Okay. Um, so it's pretty much free flow thought out of the top of my head. I did go through and edit it, probably not enough. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's my initial thought is like, you know, what I, I said something about nepotism and, you know, a, a lot of the this world is, is effed. It, it is. It, you know, it, it's, it's screwed up and, you know, it, yeah. it sucks. You know, for many, many years, I was not a successful person, right? Mm. I, I literally lived in my van when I was in my 20s. Mm. And so I know what it's like. And I worked retail jobs. I worked these mind numbing jobs where you show up every day and you just stand behind a counter or you, you put things on a shelf or something like that. And I know what it's like to, to have to, to live that. And, and, it's, and it sucks. And most people can't get out of that. Yeah. And I couldn't get out of it for many, many years until I realized, oh, hey, I have this skill that, and I kind of just fell into it, quite frankly, that mm. I have that, that realized that I did have some skill, and, and but not a lot. But then I, I decided to focus on it and build it up and eventually turn into a career. Yeah, man. So what is it safe to say it's like somewhat of a manual if you're somebody that identifies with this scenario, like this might be a, like an idea generating book check it out and and maybe you can escape this 
Exactly. And the book doesn't tell you everything. I mean, quite frankly, the yeah. book's more like a, a tour guide, right? It's yeah. like, uh, I don't show you all the details of how to do all these different languages that I talk about in there, but I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. And, and uh, beyond just uh, pointing you in the right direction, you know, for where to go to get more information, I also kind of teach you the, the uh, some of the culture behind being a software developer and working in a software development environment. There's a lot of things people don't realize go on. Mm you know, when they, when they get that kind of job. And I had no clue either when I came into it, I had no idea what scrum was, what uh, Kanban was and all these things. Mm. And so for me, it was, it was a very different world coming from working retail to, to go into this. Yeah. Wow. That's, that sounds like a great resource. Uh, and I, yeah, I'll, we'll make sure folks have links and everything here uh, bef before this gets published. So uh, the next question I had for you was, what would you consider your first success as a software developer? My first success as a software developer. So yeah, let me think. So the, the first couple of jobs that I was quote unquote, uh, you know, the, the first couple of jobs that I list in my res, in my resumes, uh, I was not really a software developer. They were web development jobs. I was basically working at companies that happened to have a website and I happened to be the guy that knew a little bit about that. And I was working on, the, that website along with other things I would do graphic design mm -hmm. and uh, basic computer maintenance so I, I wouldn't consider those necessarily successful although you know I did make okay money you know very low compared to what I'm making now but my first real success came after about three years of doing that kind of work mm -hmm. doing the basic web design work uh, my brother who was already a successful software developer had a uh, he was working at a company and, and he told me that they might be looking for some application developers and, but in order for me to, to be considered for the position, I actually had to build a little application for them to prove that I could actually do it. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do this um, at the same time as, as working my, my other job where I was a web developer, a graphic designer. So I ended up having for about a month working two jobs full time. And I would work one job in the morning, come home and, and go straight to the, to the other job. Uh, the thing I had to build was a, a, a little plug-in for Firefox uh, for a, a shopping. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter what it was. It was a, it was a JavaScript plug-in for Firefox. Yeah. And uh, so I had to work like 14 hours a day to get this thing done mm. to prove that I could do it. And I got sick during that time yeah. because just working you know, so many, so many hours. Uh, you know, my, my back was all messed up, sitting in a chair for hours and hours on end. But I did it. And uh, once I did it, they, they actually gave me a full-time offer at that company. I quit the other job. Mm. And, and that's when I really felt like, okay, now I'm a software developer. Yeah. I'm not just the guy who happens to know some web design stuff. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that sounds intense. There was, I had some other questions uh, surrounding that because there seemed to be like a lot of learning opportunities. Uh, when like you, like there's no way you could replicate these things at like another person it's like very unique experience to you. And uh, I feel like a lot of people can learn a lot from that. Yeah, it, it is. I, I suppose, I suppose, you know, I, I've never, I don't really interview people um, about how they got into software development. I do interview people quite often though, cause I, I interview people for jobs. That's just one of the things I do at my current job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think my, my case is fairly unique, but I, I suspect that it doesn't have to be that way. I think a lot of people could do what I did. They just don't know the right path mm. to take. And I'm not saying that the path I am saying I'm describing in my book is the only path. It's just simply a path. 
Right. Um, uh, but if, if you were an outsider and you had nothing, you had no knowledge of how software development worked and you walked into the you know, Barnes and Noble computer section, where would you start? Without a guide, you have no idea what mm -hmm. book to pick up, what technologies go with, what other technologies. Uh, and so this, this is like a, consider it a syllabus for teaching yourself how to be a software developer happens to be how to be, how to be my kind of software developer. I happen to be a PHP, Python, JavaScript kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, there's other ways to do it as well. Yeah. That that's kind of a reoccurring theme. Uh, I love that you're, you're not, uh, you're programming language agnostic, like just kind of like you're saying, this isn't, this is just a path, not the only path. I love that mentality. I run into so many people that have this, like, they're so religious about the technology, the language. And it's like, according, you know, to you and what a lot of other people are saying, it's like a really poor way to approach a profession. It, it is. If you, if you think that your language is, is the best and you can do everything, it's uh, you're wrong, basically. And, yeah. and not saying, I mean, you, you can't, pretty much do everything with every language. That's the thing. Right. People, people like who have only worked in Python, they think that that's like the end all and be all of all length of all uh, technology. And it's just not, not saying it's a bad one. It's, it's a great technology. It's very yeah. well supported, but you can do everything pretty much in PHP as well. It might take a little longer or less, depending on what it is you're doing. Um, one of the focuses of my book is to teach PHP, Python and JavaScript at the same time. Oh, and, cool. and the reason I do that is because there's a lot of construct constructs in language in any language that are similar. And I, and I point out, you know, well, this is what a loop looks like in JavaScript. This is what a loop looks like in Python. This is what a loop looks like in PHP. You can see that they're kind of the same, but slightly different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good way to start to understand that uh, there's a lot of differences and there's a lot of similarities between all languages. You really shouldn't be afraid of any language that you haven't encountered yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome stuff. So I was curious, how did you discover your niche helping non-technical people convert their vision into actual tangible products? That seems like a pretty cool superpower. Well, it just happened uh, uh, naturally. It's not like I, I was trying to find a niche necessarily. Okay. Uh, but I, I started off, because I am self-taught, uh, the jobs that were more available to me at the beginning were, were jobs where I was the only tech person in the company, mm. all right? Like I didn't know enough at the beginning to, to actually get a job working with other developers because other developers would immediately see, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm. Uh, you know, as an example, my, my cousin who is, I have a lot of developers in my family. My, my cousin who's a developer got me an interview at this company. Um, I'm not gonna say the name, but they used to make apple.com. Ironically, Apple doesn't make Apple.com. Okay. Uh, but so I got, I went and I got an interview with this company that makes Apple, made Apple.com back in the day. And I failed the interview. I never got a call back because I simply didn't know enough. So I ended up at these smaller companies. Uh, so the first company that I ended up at, um, which where I, where I was saying, I, I consider myself an actual developer. I was effectively working on my own, even though there were other developers at the company. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked on my own project. I built uh, something kind of like Facebook for this client of theirs. Uh, it was cool, but basically it was all, all me. And, and, uh, and I would have other developers, you know, that I could call and, and say, Hey, how do I do this? If I need to, if I need to, but I wasn't like working side by side, we weren't working in the same repository of code or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of had many years where I discovered myself working by myself, working directly with a client. And then only after doing that, you, you, you really, 
uh, working in these small environments, I'm trying to get to your, answer your original question. How did I figure out that that was my, my niche? I think it just became my niche because I had to work directly with clients. There wasn't a filter between me and the actual client. I didn't have a project manager between me to, to translate the des design requirements. So I had to learn how to understand what people actually wanted who didn't have the technical uh, terminology to actually describe what it is they wanted. Yeah. And it's turned out to be like a, like a good niche though, right? Like that's a profitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And even now that I am, you know, now I'm working on bigger teams. Uh, I've actually managed teams of, you know, 20 people or so now. Um, now I still use that even though I have, even though I can actually, you know, prove myself to other developers and actually know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm the guy who talks to the other side of the building. Yeah. You know, most of the companies I work at, they've got, you know, 15, 20 developers and they got 30 or 40 uh, people who aren't developers, salespeople, they've got, you know, the CEO, CTO, or CFO of the company, and they all have requests. And I'm the guy who can actually communicate from one side of the building to the other. And I think that's a very good skill to have because some of the other developers I work with don't have that skill. And yeah. uh, it, it makes it very difficult for them to, to do the job correctly. Hmm. What, what do you think uh, about the landscape with COVID now? Like, is it, is it still a viable marketplace to be like, uh, a solution provider directly to businesses or do you think things have kind of changed? It's hard to say from my perspective. Okay. Um, because I, you know, I've already, I'm already successful. I'm not going for those entry level positions or, or I'm not going for the uh, contract type positions either. Right. Uh, but I suspect that the, that the, that the environment is better than ever. Uh, yeah. that, and the reason I suspect that is just because technology in general has been really good. Actually COVID has not been a bad thing for tech. My, my current company, our sales have gone up about 30% hmm. because of COVID, uh, which kind of scares, in a sense, yeah. it scares me when COVID's going to end. I don't know how it's going to affect us, but, right. um, but I, I think it may be here to stay. You know, people are right. getting used to being online all the time. Uh, they're doing the shopping online. And, and once you, once you get used to that, why would you go away from it? Yeah. You know, now that I know I can get everything online, I don't have to go to a store and fight my way through people. I don't have to fight my way through traffic. I mean, there's, there's no good reason for me to go back to that, even if it becomes available in six months. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh man, I, I love that. Cause there's so much negativity out there. Basically what you're saying, it's like, folks, this is like a blessing in disguise. Like take advantage of it. I love exactly. it. Exactly. I've been trying to get to convince my bosses for the last many years. It's like, why do I have to actually go to the office? You know, uh, all, all, the only thing that happens yeah. is I waste an hour and a half, you know, on the way on the freeway yeah. and I get interrupted more and I get less work done. Cause you know, if you're not I'm, there, you're not working, you know? Right. But just, you, know, that's the thing. Just, you, you, you prove that you're working by, you know, it is a little more uh, stressful, quite frankly, you do yeah. have to prove that you're actually doing something. Yeah. You know, and, and it is the case, you know, in the past I've worked at companies where some of the developers didn't really put, didn't have a lot of output, but, all management saw as well, they show up and they're in their desk every day. So therefore they must be working. Well, right. <laughs> that, that kind of act, uh, that kind of thing isn't, isn't going to cut it anymore. You actually have to do work and prove that you do work. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So much is changing. I, I can agree with that. So uh, do you have any ideas to share on the right way to rapidly prototype solutions? The right way to rapidly prototype solutions. The opinionated way, sure. Entire, entirely <laughs> depends. Well, the, the focus is rapid, right? So yes. it, it entirely depends on the skill set of the person who's actually doing it, mm. right? You know, I, uh, 
if you wanted me to, to put something together super, super quick right now, um, I, and, and you gave me like a you know, time stopwatch timer, you got to get this thing done before the end of the day. I'd probably pop up uh, Python, not Python. I'm sorry. I would probably bring out my PHP because that's what I've been, that's, I've got about 10 years of PHP and only about three or four years of Python. Yeah. But I would bring out the PHP and I would say, screw the frameworks on the front end. I'd probably pull out the jQuery because that's what I'm best at because I've done it for so many years. And that's what I would uh, do to make your, your rapid prototype or something. And I would, and if I was doing this for somebody, I would tell them right up front, whatever I create, create for this rapid prototype is going to be thrown away. Like this is not code that is meant to scale. This is not code that, that is meant to stick around for any length of time because I know that it's the wrong way to do it, but you wanted it quick. Right. Hmm. So it's like just thoroughly communicating uh, what you're up against and then using the tools that you're most proficient at and just go at it. Right. Now, obviously for younger people uh, who didn't grow up in jQuery PHP land, like I did, they, they would probably go to whatever they learned first, which would likely be Python and, you know, React or Vue or whatever it is they've learned. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that ha have, had I been better at, you know, had I been young at, at this current age and I learned React or Vue or one of those other front-end frameworks and went to Python, I would be way faster at those technologies mm -hmm. compared to what I learned 15 years ago. Yeah. Mm. I, I love the communication piece that... I, we're going to crack this open here before we're done with it, but it's, it's basically a recurring theme. Like programmers struggle with these business skills. And uh, like, I actually really do want to get your opinion on that. Like why are programmers notoriously bad at like entrepreneurship and business and what can they do about it? I guess. <laughs> what can they do about it? Well, you yeah. know, for me, it's uh, the reason why, one of the reasons why I think I had a little bit of a leg up, in that is, is before I realized that coding was a thing, you know, that could actually make me money. I did mm -hmm. business. I, I ran a, a sign shop. I did a, a hundred and one things before I became a software developer. Yeah. And I had some, I had some real world, real world, real world experience in business. Um, but for people who don't have that experience, uh, I really, my suggestion is uh, study what, what it is that businesses do. You know, whenever you hear a term you don't understand, write that term down and figure out what it is. What is a go-to-market strategy? I don't know. You know Google it. That's it. Google is your friend always, right? Yeah. Don't be afraid to learn the business terms uh, because they're important and they're going to help you to relate to the business people. Um, on that note, I'm, I'm actually going back to school. Uh, I'm 45 years old and I'm actually attending a junior college right now because I'm planning on getting a degree in business. Even though I'm a software developer, I, I figure the, the most beneficial thing I can do at this at, at my age is get a degree in business so I can actually really truly understand what it is they do on the other side mm. um, from a software developer's perspective I can I can attest that it seems like what they do on the other side is complete nonsense but I know that it's not right I know that it, you know I couldn't do what they do on the other side so there's there's more to it than it, than it might seem like sales isn't just talking to people and being friendly they have actual strategies for it I don't know what those are yet but I, but I intend to find out. Yeah. Hmm. Amazing. So uh, when it comes to uh, like, what is your biggest piece of advice for someone building apps where maybe the entire vision has not been clearly defined? This is kind of going along with that rap rapid prototyping, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, the, the first thing I do, uh, like at my current job, for example, mm -hmm. uh, they came to me, you know, day two 
uh, they, they had a little application that kind of worked and they came to me and described what they really wanted. And so what I did is I translated it back for them. I didn't bother going to some sort of design prototype tool or anything like that. I literally just took, I pulled out a piece of paper and I drew some boxes on it and I drew some buttons on it and said, Hey, you know, I showed them the piece of paper. Is this what you're looking for? And you know, it was pretty close, but then they gave me some suggestions like the rapid prototyping can happen with a paper and a pencil. And that's exactly what I, what I do even to this day. Uh, it's the quickest way to get your point across. Pictures are worth a million words, right? Yeah. A thousand words, whatever it is. Um, draw pictures and show them to people and, and talk it out. Mm -hmm. That's what you got to do. Awesome. Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, no. Before you, you know, write code, you know, character number one, draw some pictures and just make sure you're, you're going in the same direction. I've seen unfortunate scenarios where people don't do that. And then they build something in the six months down the line, they show it to their boss and they're like, yeah, that's not at all what we're talking about. Yeah. They didn't understand what, what we were doing here. Ooh, that's, that is a tough urge to resist. I love just hopping into my code editor and whipping something up, but that is, I mean, that's just counterproductive for sure. A lot of people, a lot of developers, perhaps, Rightfully so. Think that they're smarter than everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've definitely had that, that problem. You know, I, oh, I know exactly <laughs> yeah. what you're doing. And I, and I, I, you know, make my own business model in my own head that I think yeah. is the right thing. And that's not actually what they were thinking of. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got to make sure, you know, you're essentially a, your, your job as a programmer is to make someone else's dream come true. Mm. And you have to actually understand what that dream is. It's not your dream. You know, you can go do that on your own time. <laughs> They're yeah. paying you to make their dream come true. You can tell them, hey, you know, I think your dream would be better if it had A, B, and C. And right. maybe they'll agree with you or maybe not, but you shouldn't just go off and uh, do what you think is right. Hmm. Man, that's, that is powerful. Uh, you are building, you're being paid to build somebody else's dream. That's a great way to frame it. So thanks for sharing that. Yep. Have you ever taken over legacy code projects? And if so, what advice would you give someone that is, taking on that, that kind of work for their side hustle? Well, that's almost exclusively what I've done is take over legacy mm, projects. Okay. Um, I've uh, only very rarely had the opportunity to write something from scratch. And I think that's the case with most developers, yeah. I'm assuming. Uh, but so how do you, how do, you uh, do that? Um, there's different methods, I'm sure. My, the first thing I always do when I, when I encounter a legacy project is I look at the data. Uh, if I don't understand the data, I don't understand the application. So, and for the most part, I've been dealing with applications that have, you know, a uh, relational database. So I'll start drawing diagrams. Maybe it's a huge complicated relational database. Like you're looking at Magento on the back end. I don't know if you've ever looked at that or not, but there's like mm -hmm. 200 tables. Okay. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I don't advise looking at Magento's back end. Anyhow, uh, but yeah, you have to understand the, the data structure. And if it's a huge, huge data structure, maybe you just have to understand the part of it you're, you're trying to upgrade at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so you, again, you pull out the paper and you start drawing diagrams. You know, what, what, what fields mean what, what fields are related to other fields. Um, and that'll help you get a, a core uh, understanding of the structure of the application that's built on it. Uh, there are also cases where an application is built on like a NoSQL backend uh, it's similar, but, but slightly different with that. Um, but you basically do have to understand the data and how it's related. Even with NoSQL, the data is related. It may be, the relations may exist in the code rather than in the actual database, mm -hmm. but you have to figure out what those relations are. Uh, 
beyond that, once you've figured out what the data structures are, you just need to explore the, the code. Um, you just look at every file, look at every folder. Uh, kind of, you know, you could draw diagrams in your head of what you thought. You have to kind of be a detective. You have to go and figure out what the original author of that code was intending with all of the stuff that they've created. And if you're lucky, they've, they've left you some comments in the code or maybe there's some documentation to read. Yeah. Uh, if you're not lucky, you've got to go based on what the, what the names of the functions are, which is why it comes down to uh, uh, when you're writing code, one of the most important things you can do is name your functions and your variables correctly. Mm. If you're not doing that, you're doing an injustice to the next person who's going to inherit that code. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. And if you don't mind me prying a little more, uh, let's just say uh, I'm asking for a friend. Uh, um, so let's, let's say you take on this code project and there's some things that are maybe like wrong with it. Like what is the dialogue that like when you're talking with the client, like you don't want to, you know, throw the other person under the bus, but you know, it's like, maybe it's insecure or it's like old, like what, how does a dialogue like that go? Well, yeah, you gotta be really careful with uh, criticizing the code essentially that you've inherited. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if you're still, if that person who created it or the people who created it are still with the company. Um, You know, the first thing you always do is, you know, you go, if you can, if the person's around, you go to the person who created it and go, Hey, I don't understand what you're, uh, what you were intending to do with this code here. Could you please explain it to me? That's if you have the luxury of, of uh, actually having that person around. Um, If you don't have that luxury, um, well, I mean, it, quite frankly, there are times when I have blamed the old code. It's like, hey, I don't know what the old guy, the guys who created this did. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. You usually do it in an apologetic tone. You're like, you know, I'm sure, you know, this is how I would approach you if if, I, if you were the owner of the company and I was yeah. on your code. I would say, you know, I, I'm not sure what the prior developers were thinking when they built this. I'm sure they had some good reasons, but I can't quite figure it out. Mm. Um, so, and you can even try to explain it. Like it, a lot of times trying to explain the problem to someone who is not a coder actually helps you understand the problem yourself. Mm. So you can say, you know, Hey, you know, I, I see that you've got this uh, table and it's called this and I don't really know what it means. And maybe the owner of the company may even have an idea of what it is. Maybe they are the ones that, that decided to call it whatever it's called. And they can actually give you some more insight about what that means for the business. Yeah. Um, but mm. yeah, you, you tend to, you don't want to just go out, um, and, and immediately say, oh, the old developer was an idiot and they didn't know what they're doing and now I'm going to fix it all. And, and you definitely don't want to do that uh, like in an interview scenario. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you don't, you don't want to say like, you know, well, the first thing I would do is change everything. Nobody wants to hear <laughs> yeah. that. Um, yeah. you know, the, the first thing you should do is try to understand everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe make it better. Mm. Yeah, I, I love the response to that. It's like taking it's like taking on all the responsibility. Like I'm sure it made sense. I don't quite understand it. What a, what a great way to approach it and kind of uh, navigate like a, what do they call it? A sticky wicket or something like that. Just a tricky situation. Exactly. <laughs> Diplomacy is a huge factor in any mm. job really, but uh, definitely in coding, you have to be very, very careful about the words you use and you don't want to, you never know when, you know, it's, it's a big world, but it's a small world. You never know when you're going to run across people again. Right. You may have talked a bunch of shit about the code and then who knows, maybe it's the guy's <laughs> nephew and they're right. like, you know, what? we're just going to bring it back in and have him uh, tell us what it is. And then you're like, Oh, shit. <laughs> Let, that's a, that's a good lesson. Thanks for sharing. Um, for people struggling on estimating how much time a feature will take to make, 
do you have any tips um, for either getting better at estimating or when the shit hits the fan, like how to break the news to them lightly? Well, yeah. So I've, I've got, I've heard a number of things over the years. The, the <laughs> first uh, funny thing that I've heard, which is somewhat accurate is figure out how much time you think it's going to take and then double it and then move it up to the next numbering factor. So example, you think it's going to take an hour? Well, it's probably not going to take an hour. It's probably, you multiply that by two. So two hours, multiply that by the next factor. It's going to be two days, right? Um, or, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah. really what it is, is um, you, you have to kind of know your own coding abilities. And it's mm -hmm. hard to know that when you're just beginning. Yeah. Uh, so asking someone else, you know, how long it's going to take, you know, you could ask, if you have other developers at your disposal, ask them how long it's going to take them and then kind of try to gauge how your skill is relative to their skill and, you know, multiply it by a factor of whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, at the beginning, it's, it's very difficult to determine. Um, and so from the very beginning, you know, if, if you give them an estimate, try to give them an overestimate, obviously. Uh, the, more, the more you don't know, the more larger the estimate should be. Um, but then when you do run into a problem and you realize it's gonna take longer, the, the proper way to handle that is, is tell them immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, don't wait till like a day before the due date and go, you know what, it's going to take me another week. Uh, so the moment you, you encounter any kind of problem that you, that you hadn't predicted, you bring that up and you raise the red flag and you're like, Hey, I've got an issue here. Um, this is, this, this thing looks very complicated. I, I need to, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it might be longer. Mm -hmm. um, basically you want to disappoint early uh, <laughs> as opposed to disappointing right before the deadline. Right. If you're going to do it, this is how you do it, folks. <laughs> right. Uh, and then long term, you know, once you've done that more and more, you, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of velocity in, uh, mm. in a sprint, but uh, that's one way to do it in a more systematic way. Like you okay. give yourself an estimate of uh, how long it's going to take. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to go necessarily all into the whole process of estimation, but uh in a, in a typical like work scenario where you do uh, agile development, every sprint, which is a time frame, uh, at the beginning of that, people will give an estimate of how much work they're going to get done in, in, over the next uh, so many days, and they never reach that amount of work. Let's say, but let's say it's seventy percent, and you actually measure it, uh, and then and now you know that the next time you do an estimate, you should uh, you should multiply it by that factor of seventy percent because that's how off you are on average. Mm. And so you just track this. There, so the we don't deploy Scrum. It's is it Scrum or uh, or is it sure kind of agile a, development? Well, agile development is kind of an umbrella term. It involves okay. it, it covers Scrum and also Kanban. So I guess I will go a little more into the the details of that. Mm -hmm. um, what we do, or what I've done in many of the companies I've worked for, is we we use the Fibonacci sequence as the uh, the basis for estimation. And if you're not familiar with the Fibonacci sequence, it's one, one, and then every number after that is the previous two numbers added together. So it's one, one, two, and then two plus, uh, two plus one is three, and then it's five, and then it's eight, and then it's uh, 11 or something like that. Um, basically the numbers go up somewhat exponentially uh, another way to do this is uh, I, I've made a, a, simple, a simpler numbering system, which is just uh, uh, based on uh, binary. So it's one, two, four, eight, sixteen, mm, right? And okay. the, the idea there is you assign those numbers to like hours. If you you know if you think something's going to take you an hour, great, you give it an hour, one point. If you think it's going to take two hours, great, it's two hours. But if you think something's going to take 
nine hours. Well, that's over eight, so you might as well go up to the next factor, which is 16. Mm, I see. And so the, the, the larger you think something is going to take, the longer it's, it's going to take, the more off you probably are. Mm. So if you think something's going to take 20 hours, well, it might take 40 hours. It might take twice as much. So it's, it's, uh, that's one good way to do an estimation. Yeah, and just measure it, like whatever your estimation is, measure it and then reflect on it and just... Yeah, round it up to the next highest factor. Is yeah. What it is. And I, I actually go through that in my book. Um, okay. But it, it's Excellent. Thing, you know. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So uh, you had mentioned in the pre-interview uh, something about uh, going out and before creating your own thing, you need to go see what real software looks like. So I was curious, why... Why do you think that is so extremely important? Uh, because everyone thinks they're smarter than they really are. That's <laughs> really what it comes down to. And I, I, I have yeah. definitely fallen into that trap myself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just better to, to learn from the greats. Like uh, software development is, is a complicated subject. I know the book that I have says that it's not. You know, I'm trying to appeal to people who don't know anything about it. But when it yeah. when you when you get into it, it does become very complicated. Uh, but fortunately, a lot of people have had these same problems in the past and have solved these same problems in the past. And so, seeing how other people have solved those problems can be a huge benefit to solving them yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of times I I I shrug I cringe whenever I interview for a company and, and, and uh, they and ask them what framework they're using. And they say, Oh, it's a homespun framework. And I'm like, ah, okay, great. Now I've got to relearn everything. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that reminds me, uh, you had mentioned something about one of the open source projects uh, that are exciting to you was the Django framework. Do you see that a lot in production or is it just kind of like a, I was just curious on your take with Django. Well, I, 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 the reason I say that is because I'm currently working in Django. I actually okay. haven't used it up until the last year and a half. Um, it's a great, it's a great framework. Um, I want to say, uh, in all honesty, it's it's roughly the same as many of the other frameworks I've used. I've used, but it's the first Python framework I've used. Actually. Okay. Um, most frameworks have, you know, similar functionalities, right? You have an ORM in there or, or it works with, it's built to work with a certain ORM, but mm -hmm. the framework is generally going to handle your, your MVC pattern, your, your model view controller mm -hmm. pattern, which is a great way to separate code front, back, front end, back end, and the, and the control layer. Yeah, actually, if I can just pry a little more. So I hear a lot of, well, you know, in the, in the nerd, uh, like pissing contests out there on the internet, there's this, there's this whole thing about like server side versus like, no, just create the API and make a front end with like, with React. Like, so Django is all about the server side with like the templating. So I was just curious, like with your 15 years of experience, like, do you see this as a viable way to make products? Do you see any like crazy performance issues? Like, wh like where does it break down? I was just, well, J Django is good for in my opinion, uh, perhaps smaller projects, right? Okay. Uh, the nice thing about Django is it does handle the front end. It has a, a, a view and a template system. And you can basically make an entire application, website, what do you want to call it, in Django and pretty much nothing else, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to do that, right? Uh, it, when you get to the larger scale applications, 
um, the first thing that goes with Django is probably the templating system, right? Uh, you don't really need, if you're going to use React or Vue or Angular on the front end, you probably don't want to do that within Django because Django, well, for one thing, that Django in uh, both Angular and React use the same kind of templating, uh, mustache template kind of thing. And so they, they interfere with each other and that's, that's annoying to have to deal with. It, it is deal with a bowl and, I, and we do that at my current job. But, um, but, it's, but the great thing about Django is like, if you're coming into software and you've never built anything before, you can effectively focus on Django and be good for several years. You can make, mm -hmm. you know, small to mid-level sites, uh, you know, even fairly complicated websites with Django uh, and not really have an issue. Uh, the only time it really becomes an issue is when you start to have many people working on the project, you need to worry about scalability. Uh, you know, and in that case, uh, Django can transition into just a backend framework and you can just use it as the API layer and you can have your, your React or Vue or whatever on the front end. And then what you essentially have is you have two MVCs, right? You have an MVC on the front end and an MVC on the back end and they interact through the, uh, through the API. Mm -hmm. So this whole, like when, it, like if somewhat of a noob goes out there and they see like, oh, microservices, what's this? And then Django violates, you know, everything because it's like this monolithic, like all the tutorials you see, like it's okay to build monolithic. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah. Like, not every application needs to have microservices. I right. mean, uh, you, you know, depends on what you're, what you're doing. Uh, you, you may see the future at the very beginning of a project and go, you know, I know this thing's going to get huge and it's going to require microservices at some point. And so you may want to, you know, not do Django. You might want to do something simpler like Flask, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the, the thing about it is everyone, uh, you shouldn't always assume as a developer that the business is actually going to be successful, right? <laughs> Uh, everyone assumes that it is, but that's right. not the case. And so, you know, you could spend a lot of time building, you know, let's say you want to build the most scalable, flexible thing, you know, ever, and you're going to put, you know, uh, event buses in there, you're going to use Kafka, you're going to use all these different things, and you're going to build this giant, huge, scalable system, but then the, the actual business idea kind of sucks. And you've spent two years building this great, scalable system, and it's not even going to be used because the actual idea of the business itself wasn't a good one. Mm. Well, that sucks. You don't want, you've, you've just wasted a bunch of people's time and money. So, you know, you should, as a developer, you should, you should probably work on a, a simpler system, in my opinion, a monolithic system that you can build with Django and do it with in mind in the back of your head that someday you may have to replace this or modify it to, to be more scalable. But before you do that, before you spend any, any time, you know, doing that, you need to validate that the business is actually good a viable business and, and uh, you know not being a business person you know you're a developer you don't really know that mm -hmm. man I'm so thankful for this conversation basically for people that are like I like I wish I had this type of intuition when I first got started because there's there's so much there's so much noise out there and and especially if you're kind of a noob you're like well I don't I don't want to do the wrong thing and it's like man I for, for people that are like two years behind me, like this is gold folks, because like you could, you could just be, you know, listening to all these like tribal ways of doing things that it's like, it's, it's, there's no religious aspect to this. Like, like Django is okay. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it. You know, PHP is fine. Uh, I, yeah. I worked uh, pr prior to this job. I was working in Laravel and PHP. It's also an awesome framework. Mm. Very cool. Excellent. So uh, what, 
What traits do you look for when hiring software developers? What traits do I look for? Well, uh, communication is, is pretty obvious. The first, uh, in my opinion, the most important thing. If they uh, can't describe, you know, first thing I always do in an interview is I say, you know, tell me about your career history. You know, I know I've read your resume, but please tell me what you actually have done. Okay. Um, and then once they, you know, I, I'm, I'm at this time, I'm basically judging their ability to communicate to me, you know, what they have actually done. Uh, I always talk to, you know, I always ask people, you know, specifically, what did you do? At your previous job you may have been involved in a project that put people on the moon but yeah. what what part of that thing did you actually do how you know what what objects did you make what what uh, design patterns did you use all that kind of stuff mm. um that's the first thing i do is is look for their ability to com to, to communicate to me uh well uh, beyond that i mean the the next thing is is quite frankly uh, you know what tech depends on what technologies we actually need like uh, it's nice to hire people who already know whatever it is that you are hiring for like a we're currently looking for React developers. And uh, it, because I'm not that great of a React developer, I want somebody who can actually tell me about React and teach me something. Um, so that's what I've been looking for lately. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just, uh, uh, it depends on exactly, you know, technology skill set is one thing, communication is huge. Um, beyond that, I do look for uh, certain signs. You know, I, you know, I don't want to say uh, like, to me, there's an ideal uh, timeline, time length that you would be at a job, and it depends on the job, right? Um, there's too long and there's too little. Uh, hmm. If you're at a job for two months, for example, and you've got a list of 15 things that you did at that job, that's a red flag. You, you probably didn't do 15 things in two months. Mm -hmm. But if you're at a job for 15 years and you only did like three things or you did the same type of thing over and over again, that's also a red flag. Uh, so I, I like people who, who um, have a healthy curiosity about their, uh, their path through their career. Um, I don't like to see people who've done the same thing over and over and over again. That tells me that they're not really growing. Um, so yeah, I like to see people in general with like a couple of years of experience per job and each job kind of goes in a slightly different direction and maybe learn something new every time. Mm, excellent. That's really cool. Uh, what kind of expectations should someone set for themselves when becoming a self-taught programmer? Oh, expectations. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I set my, I set goals my, for myself as a okay. self-taught programmer. Um, you know, one of my goals was, uh, you know, at, at the beginning, it's about money. I'm going to be quite frank. Um, you know, at the beginning, my goal was uh, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, and it took me a decade to get there. You know, this is fifteen years ago starting, but um, but beyond that, uh, the, once you start getting towards your your monetary goal, which is generally your first goal, mm -hmm. uh, you do you do have to kind of start setting goals for uh, you know what kind of developer you want to be. What what are your um, what are you going to focus on? Like for example, I I focused on um, object-oriented programming. I didn't have to focus on that, but I did. I read some good books on it, and it seemed like a, a good way to go. Um, and so I, I feel like I, I got a pretty good understanding of that. Um, your question, though, is what expe expectations you should set. And I think that basically you should not, you shouldn't really expect a lot from yourself, quite frankly. Um, there's, I, I have failed more times than I have succeeded. Uh, and I don't kick myself for failing. Uh, you know, you try something, it's hard. Uh, 
in, uh, I would actually expect to fail most of the time. I would expect to have to ask somebody, hey, I can't get this thing to work. Can you please tell me you know, what it is? And it's only after failing many, many times and continuing to do it that you actually gain experience. That's, that's scary for people that are uh, not, you know, they don't consider themselves as like, you know, dealing with failure or like, I, I just see that a lot. And I even catch myself doing it. Like if you have a little ounce of perfectionism in you, like failure is not an option, you know, type thing. Like what kind of mental game, like what, what can we download from your brain to like, you know, help navigate to help, those? To yeah. help with failure. Well, uh, I mean, I tell myself in my own head that, uh, and, and this has basically been the case, that it doesn't matter how bad I do at something, uh, developers are rare. Mm. Everyone's looking for developers. There are way more jobs in this field than there are people. And so it doesn't matter how bad you've done, you know, you can get fired from a job because you didn't know what the heck you were doing and you're probably going to get another job pretty quick. As long as you know, you know, you, you learn from your experiences, right? Yeah. Um, I've been fired once. Uh, I, I learned from that, uh, ended up in a, in a, a similar job. I've ended up learning from it. Right. Mm -hmm. and so, uh, that's one thing that I tell myself mentally is it doesn't really matter how bad I do. There's always someone else who's willing to, to hire me. Hmm. So, that's a good security blanket, I suspect. Yeah. And then once, once you have that sort of mentality, would you say it kind of opens up the door? Like did even cooler possibilities come once you started to be like, well, it, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going for it. It, it does because you, you're no longer afraid of uh, trying things that, that, you, that are way outside of your, uh, your comfort zone. Hmm. In fact, I, th I think it's a requirement to, to, to have that mentality of it, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to try for this job. Uh, I don't know how, but they, they decided to hire me as an architect over here and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to try it. And uh, you know, the great thing about, about most of these jobs is it takes a long time to detect a bad developer. A developer doesn't know what they're doing. That's how I found you. That that's that from the Quora question. I was like, have you ever hired a bad programmer before? Oh yeah. No, it, <laughs> it can take six months before you realize, yeah. Oh God, this guy doesn't really know what he's talking about. Mm. Uh, but I mean, and the, and the thing is, is usually in, in my experience, and I've hired a few people that quite frankly didn't know what they were talking about, but uh, these people had other skills, right? They had the, mm. the ability, the gift of gab, or the ability to talk about things. And that's probably the, the biggest skill of all is, is ability to actually communicate, talk about things, even though these people ended up not being the greatest developers, probably because they just simply couldn't focus. Um, they, they had skills and, and, they, and you know, they, when they left, they probably learned a lot from the experience with me and went on to do better things. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I didn't know when to drop that in there, but that's, that's how I, uh, first uh, met you, Dallas, and your your uh, wealth of knowledge was in your Quora post. You've created quite a uh, following on Quora. How did? Yeah. What's up with that? Um, well, it's uh, <laughs> it, it kind of caught me off guard too because I I got posting on Quora, you know, five six years ago. I'm not really sure how long ago, but um, I had one post that uh, went viral essentially, okay. and the post that went viral was uh, I I had. Uh, I had actually asked, I was so pissed off at the time about <laughs> recruiters contacting me 
and you know, we've, uh, if you're in development, you understand what I'm talking about. You get recruiters contacting you. They haven't bothered to look at your resume or what skills you put on LinkedIn or whatever it is. And they're, they're offering you jobs that are hundreds of miles away and they don't really even care. And so I got so pissed off at it that I wrote both a question and an answer on Quora because I wanted to answer this question. And the question was, you know, why, uh, it was something to the effect of why are, why are recruiters, or why do developers treat recruiters so badly was the question. <laughs> and so I went off on it. And that question got like a million hits or something. Okay. It was a lot of hits. Um, and so that, that's, uh, that got me really started. So after that, that question, not too long after that, I actually got invited by Quora to be a part, to be a partner. Okay. And, and uh, this is a, a program they have where you can actually get paid to write on Quora. Hmm. Um, and I don't get paid a lot. You know, I've been doing, I've been a paid Quora partner for, you know, a couple of years now and I've made a couple hundred bucks. Uh, not a big deal. It's not like a huge boon to my income, but I enjoy no. writing on Quora. I enjoy writing in general, which is why I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, basically uh, it's, it's fun to watch your post go viral. And I've had a couple since <laughs> then go close to viral. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's few and far between actually. I've had maybe five go somewhat viral. Hmm. Yeah, all the topics looked great. I mean, I, I was writing up the questions for this interview and I was like, man, you could just have like a whole podcast interview of like, you know, rehashing some of these questions or like, you know, kind of digging deeper. There's some layers in there, but I encourage everybody to go check it out. Uh, you definitely are sharing uh, developer knowledge uh, in many different areas there. So. so I don't know <laughs> if you can see behind me and I know your viewers are listening to you and not viewing <laughs> you, but. Uh, behind me, you see my band set up, and this yeah. this um, device that I'm pointing at right now is a, a, a stand. Okay, I've I've retrofitted it with a couple of erasers on the end of it to hold my cell phone. <laughs> and the point of that, the reason I built it, is I actually want to do a podcast myself. Okay, so excellent. Some, someday I will do a, a podcast. I haven't quite figured out figured it out yet, but you, I I think I mean you definitely have the brain and the content, so it would be, yeah. Uh, we, we could chat after the show. I'll give you all the, all the, the tips I got uh, to help you out there. So cool. Awesome. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. So if you had to start your own tech side business tomorrow, what would it be? You think? If I had to do it tomorrow, my, my business would be much like my job is okay. I would start uh, what I would call the agency model, which is a company that doesn't have their own product necessarily but they build products for other people. Uh, okay. the, the only difference between doing that and doing what I currently do as a job is that I would do it as a 1099. Um, so you're, you're not actually working for them. You, you're just uh, billing them at the end of the month or whatever. Um, that's how I would start if I had to do it tomorrow. How I would like to start my own side business is to build my own product, right? And, mm. and, uh, and actually build something that I love. And I'm actually in the process of doing that right now. Okay. Uh, so I am currently building an application because I'm a musician, I'm building an application for music people, uh, for sharing, it's for creating music and sharing music online. Um, and I don't want to go too much into it because I don't want to give any trade secrets out. But um, so, you know, there's, there's a couple ways to go about it. Like, you know, create your own product and actually get people to use it and pay you for it. That's like the dream right there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't suspect it's very likely, but I'm trying it anyway. But if, if it was just about making money and doing business, the agency model is a great model to follow. And there's lots of people willing to pay you on contract to build stuff for them. Mm. Uh, how would the, like, 
there, there's this whole uh, like nobody pays money out of the kindness of their heart for stuff like the paying for stuff they actually need or it's like solving this problem. So how do you go about like either experimenting with, you know, idea like like if you think somebody has a problem and you build a product around it and it's wrong, like how, how do you ideate, I guess? That, that's the question I was trying to get at. <laughs> how do you ideate? How do you, yeah. I'm not sure what the word ideate means, um, but how do you, how do you show potential clients that you can solve their problem? Is that yes. the question? Mm -hmm. Well, um, by solving problems yourself and showing them that you've solved them. So if I was going to create an agency, even if I had no clients, which would be the case if I was going to do it tomorrow, um, I would make up clients. I would make fake products and mm -hmm. build websites for them and fake companies. And you know, you, you can either be honest about it and say, Hey, this is a fake company I made. Here's the website, blah, blah, blah. Or you can, you know, be a little deceptive about it. Quite frankly, you can, you know, that's how I got into this business in the first place. Uh, it, you, you always, you know, the, the term is uh, you fake it till you make it. Right. Right. Well, my first job in this industry um, which I didn't even really realize it was what industry I was in at the beginning, but I had a, a, a sign company. I made uh, painted letters on pieces of, on boards and buildings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I made a little website for my own sign company. And then I had a couple other side businesses and I made websites for them as well. And when I got my first web development job, I referenced those on my resume. I didn't bother to say, you know, Hey, these are all me. Right. But, but they were, you know, and they had real websites, real links on, you know, real uh, URLs you could go to and visit them. And that's how you do it. That's how I did it. I faked, I faked it. And for the first couple of jobs, I listed those as actual jobs. And then oh. later on, I, I, didn't, I didn't have to do that. I actually had real experience to reference. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like portfolio. Uh, like, like, it's not just like creating a portfolio. It's, it's kind of like purpose, like solve your own problems or come up right. with problems you think need to be solved and build a product around. Everybody's it, so. got problems. Everybody's yeah. got, uh, quite frankly, everybody's got a family member who's got an app idea, right? Yeah. Anybody who hasn't said that, right? Oh, I got this great app idea. We'll take somebody, <laughs> yeah. take, take them up on it. You go, oh, you know what? Right. I think I'll actually try to make that for you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you have to do it for free because these people generally don't have any money to give you. Yeah. But the, the point of doing it is to build your portfolio up so that you can actually get real clients in the future. Yeah, I love it. That makes so much sense. Now, I do want to ask you this one thing. Like, if you were to go out there and get clients tomorrow, uh, maybe you don't have this fear because you've been you've you've been a businessman as well as a software developer. But I know a lot of people will struggle with like, oh my gosh, like I have to go talk belly to belly to somebody. Like, what is your uh, for for someone that's struggling with the whole like, you know. I just want to hide behind my computer keyboard and write code, but that's kind of a fantasy. I, I think it is. So what is your, like, if you could coach somebody through it in like five, you know, attempt to do it in two well, to five minutes. Uh, this is what it, this is where it comes down to uh, just life choices in general. You, you can't live your life behind a computer and you need to learn how to interact with people, mm -hmm. whether or not you like it. Right. Uh, I was a very introverted person when I was young, uh, you know, smart person, or whatever. But uh, I decided to, you know, drink and, and socialize and, and, and kind of forced my own self into that so that I can understand what, quote unquote, normal people do. Mm -hmm. I went to bars and, and, and I'm not suggesting everyone necessarily has to do that, but you should go out and experience the world and, and understand what uh, normal people do. I mean, even to the point like I, I 
I did not go straight into software development. Obviously, I, I mentioned earlier I was in retail. So it can even help to just get a job that is a quote-unquote normal job. Right? Mm-hmm. Go be a clerk at a, you know, a retail store or you know, register person or something like that just to get the experience, even though you don't want to do that for a living. Right. Uh, do, uh, do sales. Go to, you know, get a job at a car dealership and sell cars for a month or two. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make that your living but just, just to get an understanding of what people actually do. Yeah. And that's how you, that's how you would sell uh, your skills to other people is simply by being personable and, and relatable. And, mm-hmm. and even though I haven't done this, I, I've never actually uh, contracted myself out. I have actually gone through the process of that. Uh, we, a couple months, a couple years ago, rather, I was actually trying to get clients and I actually met with a couple of them and, and they wanted to do, what I, they wanted to give me their business. Uh, it ended up not being, not working out because I got a better job and I had too much time, too much, I didn't have much time to do that. So, mm-hmm. but I have actually gone through that process mm-hmm. a bit. Hmm. I, I'm so happy that you framed it like that because uh, often the way I've tried to describe it is like exposure therapy. Like the, th- the thing you have issues with, like you need to go like, if you if you're terrible at public speaking, you need to go do public speaking. Like exactly. it's just expose yourself to it and get out there. I love it. Th- thank you for sharing that. Um, I was oh, uh, I I was gonna tack this onto that question. What are the first steps you would take to make some cash with the business that you were starting tomorrow? Type thing. Was there anything else more you wanted to add to that, or did or did to we make, do a good job? The the first steps I would take to make some cash. Mm-hmm. Um. If I was not already a successful software developer, I would probably go, the first thing I would probably do is go to whatever the, the latest freelance site is. I think it's Upwork is one of the, one of the popular ones these days. Yeah. Uh, I would go on there and make a profile and you can get some cash pretty quick, right? You can get somebody who will pay you for something. Uh, if you're not a software developer, like if you do uh, graphic design, you can do logos for people. There's, there's a lot of sites where you can just straight up um, get direct work from people. Also Craigslist. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how much that is going on anymore, but back in 2005, I actually got a, or not 2005, 2015, I got a job through Craigslist, just straight through Craigslist. And the great thing about doing that is I didn't have to go through any recruiters. That was the only time I ever went to a job interview and they interviewed me and they said, great, hired on the spot. <laughs> Never happened ever before. And so there, there is some advantages to, to direct marketing of yourself. Mm. Yeah, just gotta just gotta get get out there and do it, folks. If you're scared, right. so um, uh, you had touched on this before, but I'll just throw this out. Like, if you had a, a realistic magic wand type thing, like what you're going back to school for business, but if you were like, is that is there another degree that you'd want to get? Like, if if money wasn't an object and you were like, oh, I want to go learn something new, what else would you go back to school for? Uh, well, it would be awesome to have a degree in computer science. You know, uh, it would be awesome to have that, uh, or one of the derivatives of that, derivatives of that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I don't do that is I would probably argue with the professors too much <laughs> and tell them that they're wrong, which is already happening with my business degree that I'm going for. 
Like, this is um, not the real world that you well, teach. Well, no, like, so I'm taking a, <laughs> I'm going back for business, right? But it's, uh, my yeah. specialty is, uh, it's a computer information system. So it's, it's a bachelor's of business computer, computer information system. So there okay. is some computer classes and I'm taking like an introductory one right now. And I'm yelling at my, it's all remote. So I'm yelling at my screen all the time going, <laughs> no, that's not correct. <laughs> but, uh, so what other degree would I go for? I might go for a music degree. I was at one point doing that. 25 years ago, mm-hmm. but that's just because I enjoy music. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you one thing, uh, a general piece of advice is if you really, really, really love something, don't do it for a business. Don't do it for a mm. living. The, the reason why I'm a software developer is because I love music. Um, I love music and I don't want to compromise my music. I do that. That's my hobby. Nobody tells me what to do with it. And no, you know, I don't have to do, I don't have to change my music because my boss wants it to be different. And that's great. I keep that on the side and the software development is a thing. It's my second most passionate, passionate thing that I, that I think about, but because it's my second uh, most important thing, it's fine if I compromise myself a little bit. Yeah. They're both kind of creative outlets though, right? Or, or Absolutely. Would, would you agree with that? Uh, they are they are both creative outlets um, with software development. Depending on the company you work for, you may be more or less creative. Mm. Right? If you're in a small company and you're the guy making the website, uh, you can be very creative. Right? Uh, you you're, you can present different ideas to your to the owners of the company, and you can say, "Hey, you know, what do you think about this?" If you're in a if you're a junior developer on a giant team of you know hundred other developers, you're probably not going to be doing a lot of creativity. You're probably going to get from your your manager or whatever, you know, here's what you need to build. You need to build this module and you need to use this design pattern. And there's no arguing about it. You just build it. Mm. And both both places, both uh, types of jobs are good to good places to be in because you'll learn something in both cases. But uh, don't always assume that it's going to be a creative task. Mm. That's that is a great reminder. I'm in a, a creative role right now and I I just had never, I've never experienced a rigid structure like what you're talking about where, where somebody's like, hey, build this thing. And uh, I, it just makes me self-reflect. Like, I don't know if I could do a job like that. But what I, I had never had that thought before. Well, one of my most favorite jobs was when I was working at this company called Hotluck. Hotluck is a fashion company and uh, they, they got bought by Nordstrom a few years back. Mm. But uh, that, that, that scenario literally happened to me. My, uh, I was on a team. I was, it was a very large company for me. It was the first company I worked at. We had like uh, 50 or 60 developers, something like that. And I was on a little pod of five developers. I was back in, I did PHP only. And I had a manager and uh, you know, I, I proved to them that I could do some stuff. So they came to me one day and they said, Hey, you know, we want you to rebuild this thing that was their returns processing system. And they didn't really give me a lot of options. They said, you know, you're going to use this design pattern. Like literally no questions. You just use this design pattern. Believe us, we're correct. And at the time <laughs> I was like, how, you know, and, and also told me, and this is what really got me is you're going to use test driven development. I had never done test driven development before in my life, or mm. for that matter, even really written a unit test. So it was a huge challenge to me. And, and uh, I was like, well, why can't I just, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, why can't I just do it the way I want to do it? Well, I'm very glad that they did that because mm-hmm. I learned a lot there. I learned how to do the design. Once I was done with it, I looked at the code and I was like, oh, now I understand why you wanted me to use that pattern. Now mm-hmm. I understand why you wanted me to do test-driven development. I learned stuff that I would not have learned otherwise. 
and I probably would have never, you know, thought to even try on my own. Yeah. So just because you're in a rigid structure like that doesn't mean it can't be beneficial for you. Mm, man, that, that's gold. Just for me personally, I really appreciate that because I think I was really close-minded to like, oh, if I can't create, like, it's not for me. But that's just, that's almost like a, like an arrogant way of going about it. Like, you, you don't want to be religious about how you, you do your programming, like on any level is kind of what I'm hearing from you. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome, man. So um, if you had to package some of the lessons that you learned from the medical records project, what would they be? Cause I was trying to, I was trying to like think about it and I was like, no, nah, I just need to ask him because it just seemed like there was a lot to unpack there. I don't even know if you want to go into it, but I'd love to hear. Well, it's a long story. <laughs> so, and I learned a lot of lessons, not just in about code, but uh, mm-hmm. so the, the, the story with this project was I, um, I, I just started this job. Uh, uh, I, I got, hired as a, a mid-level software developer at this company. It was about 50 people. Um, the team was maybe about seven people at first, something like that. Uh, and uh, I, they gave me a project. It was a medical, electronic medical records company. Uh, and they gave me a project for uh, making an integration with a prescription system. So basically, uh, you, you know, make... Uh, if you go to Walgreens or CVS and you you had a, a doctor that used our system, uh, you would use my prescription routing system to actually get your prescriptions set to the CVS or Walgreens or whatever. Anyway, um, I, I, at first I just dived right into the, the project itself. Uh, I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to what their company was doing around me. Uh, and then uh, after about six months, I finished that project and uh, shortly after that time, the director, the head of the software development department, department quit. Mm. And so that was interesting. It was the first time I've ever been in a company where the, the head quit. And so they ended up promoting the architect to his position. And that was interesting. And at the same time, I, this is about the time I started looking around me and getting my head out of the desk and looking around going, Hey, what's going on with this company? And, and I, and I, became more obvious to the point to, to the fact that the original owners had sold the company to another group, a, a foreign investor group who was in the process of taking over the company. And I should have paid a little more attention to that at the time. Mm. Um, but so the architect took over for a while, really good guy, a very smart guy, knew the system very well. He went, he did that job for maybe three months and then he quit. And then, uh, and in that process, uh, once I finished the first project, they kind of promoted me to a manager type position. Well, once the architect quit, uh, they were looking around for who to lead the team and somebody pointed at me and then I got promoted and now I'm leading this team. Uh, and we also built the team up a bit at that point. We were up to about 12 people. And so now I got really into the politics of the company and I, and I started to new, to, to learn, you know, to really, uh, understand the new owners of the company and what they're trying to achieve. And uh, the old owners of the company had left. Uh, they were, uh, they said, sayonara, don't talk to us again. Um, and uh, so the project we had was, it was a very, very difficult project. Uh, we had to make this thing uh, as a result. Our entire company was as a result of the uh, tax care act of 2010, the Obamacare as we would call it, mm-hmm. uh, which basically required that doctors use a computer electronic medical record system 
for their offices and they would get money from the government for doing so. So there was like an incentive program. Mm. But in order for them to get that money, they had to use a piece of software that filled a certain set of requirements. And it was a very long set of requirements. Um, and there were phases of these requirements. And the first phase of the requirements was just a list of things the government said, you gotta do these things. And, but in the first phase, all the, the software companies had to do is say, yeah, we do them. They don't have to prove anything. Mm. Phase two was a bigger list of things. And the, diff the main difference with phase two is they said, you know what, you actually have to prove it now. We're gonna, you know, before we certify you for this phase two thing, we're going to send a guy to your you know, company and he's going to analyze your systems. He's going to look at the back end. He's going to look at the front end. He's going to ask you to run through the system and verify the data. And so what I learned, began to learn is, well, that first certification we had wasn't actually correct. They basically said that it did things that it didn't do. Hmm. And uh, so that's when I started getting, you know, the red flag in my head. Okay. Something's wrong here. Uh, anyway, we worked our butts off to get, the certifi certification for phase two and, and to the point where we're working day and night, you know, for mm. a month on end or whatever, uh, certain people on the team working ourselves sick again, just to get this project done. And we ended up doing it. We got it done in time, got certified. Everybody was happy. And then immediate, almost immediately thereafter, I was approached by the owners of the company and they said, you know what, we're going to have to cut the team in half, which oh, was wow. a massive blow. Now, mm -hmm. fortunately, a couple of people had already left because they were working too much and they found better jobs where they didn't have to work so much. I don't blame them. Uh, but at the end, I had to actually choose a couple people to fire. And I'd never done that before uh, in this type of scenario, at least. Mm. Um, and it was a very, very tough scenario. I mean, I knew all these people. We knew these, I knew these people like my family. You know, we would, uh, after work, we'd go drink and, you know, I, I knew their families, literally, uh, some of them. And so it was a huge, difficult decision to make. And in the end, you know, I had, I made the decisions I made, I had to fire some people and I chose those people and they were released. And then, uh, and then things kind of just went downhill from there. Uh, I, I've got more and more information about the company, like the pre the previous owners had made a bunch of promises to other people about what the product would eventually do. Those promises had never came to fruition. And so that eventually led to lawsuits uh, the people that wanted their, wanted their product to do what it was going to do and it wasn't doing it. So the lawsuits ended up piling up and uh, eventually, uh, eventually long-term the company went out of business, but I decided, I saw the, the I saw the, the trouble brewing and I bailed mm -hmm. and I found another good job that was a lot more stable and, uh, and I was fine. Uh, but I kept in contact with a lot of those people. And so I kind of heard third party about the, the failure of the company throughout the next couple of years. And uh, mm. so the real lesson to learn there is, you know, you just got to really pay attention to what's going on around you. Even though you're just a developer, it really is important what's happening on the sales side. You know, are, are, are the salespeople being ethical in selling the product or are they selling features that don't actually exist? Um, that stuff all matters in the long run. Mm -hmm. Man. Yeah. That's a, just even from like a leadership point of view, like it, it just, like you, you have you have to make like the least worst decision. Like that, like nobody wants to be in that that boat. But I mean, somebody's got to be there. But yeah, they're not all not all projects succeed. Uh, quite frankly, most projects will fail at some time. Yeah. Um, but it's about you know as far as your career path is concerned, uh, it's about being at the right place at the right time. And I've been pretty good at doing that. You know, the moment you see trouble brewing. Uh, is the moment you should start looking. 
Mm. Uh, loyalty is not rewarded in this industry. Um, I often look at my brother who is a software developer as well. He's about five years older than me. Okay. Um, and he's, he's too loyal in my opinion. He is uh, I've seen him on a couple of occasions stick with a company that was clearly a sinking ship and to the point where, you know, his checks start bouncing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know, it's like, okay. And, and I, I, I'm sure they very, I'm sure all those companies very much appreciate his loyalty, but in the long run, he's kind of messing himself up. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to understand when the time, when it's the right time to, to leave. Hmm. Yeah. That's, you just back to your whole uh, remark about like, you can't, even when like failure seems like it's, you know, the scary thing, like you have to be willing to be like, well, I'm going to go try on some other, you know, try out another job role because you end up learning so much anyway. Like you were saying, you get to try out these new technologies and it just, it helps. It's, yeah. It's, it's all about balance, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't want to just jump the moment you see anything, you know, it doesn't yeah. look good to have every job be six months. That's definitely a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 you know, you could say, well, it's all because all the companies are bad. Well, maybe you didn't do enough research in the first place before you joined the company. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what would you, what is your message to people that find themselves working for free or feel like everybody just wants something for free type thing? Well, it's always going to be the case and you just got to stick to your guns <laughs> yeah. uh, depending on the scenario. I mean, sometimes like, like we discussed earlier, you know, if you're trying to build up your portfolio, um, it can be a very uh, good experience to, to build something for free and you're really not building it for free though. You're building it for yourself, right? right. You just got to look at it that way. Mm. Um, but yeah, in, in the cases where, you know, you have a job and somebody wants to offer you some other gig, but it's uh, free or it's on commission, are you going to get a percentage of the sales? Well, just remember, you're not a businessman, you know, and uh, it, it, you don't know whether it's, a, unless you are a businessman, in which case, uh, you know, good luck. Good, good, good for you. But uh, just as, as a software developer, not being a businessman, you can assume that most ideas are going to fail. Uh, and so with that in mind, you're going to need some money up front. It's just, uh, you, you got to get something out of it. You got to have a backup plan or, or, or even just a, a plan in general. Mm-hmm. And the plan, I, I will often <laughs> like, if somebody gave me the opportunity, I don't care what the product is. I don't care how great of an idea it seems like, but they gave me the opportunity between making a hundred thousand dollars a year or getting 50% of the company. I'm going to take that hundred thousand dollars a year almost every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I'll screw myself in the long run. Maybe, you know, I'll miss out on a Facebook and I'm like, well, I could own half a Facebook. Well, yeah, that's possible, but not likely. Yeah. Just the, from the probability point of view, like anybody that lacks perspective. And I, I feel like even sometimes like I lack this perspective. Um, yeah. I just, I had no, you know, we see all this like successful ideas happening, but really like the, the gauntlet to, you know, to, to get, to that you know successful you know thousand users or whatever even more it's just like the really low probabilities is kind of what i'm hearing from you yeah it's unfortunate but it's just like being an actor or an actress right Mm -hmm. um most people don't don't get there yeah just you got to look at the reality of the situation Mm -hmm. even more of a reason to have this attitude about failure because it's you can just sift through more failures and maybe have like slightly higher chance of like hit hitting you know 
some gold there. So I just see the fear. I, I have personally felt it and then I see it in people that I mentor as well. It's just like this debilitating thing that stands between everything that you want out of life. And it's like, if there's like, logically we understand like, yes, be fearless, but it's like actually doing it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's quite the, the fearless ones, in my opinion, are the entrepreneurs, right? The ones who actually put out the chunk of cash to get a business going. Those are the ones who, who are really risking it. Uh, for me, at least the way I run my, myself as a business mm -hmm. is uh, I win no matter what, you know, I will not work on something unless I'm being paid properly for it. And sometimes it's not a great idea. You know, sometimes it is a great idea. I've never, so far, I've never passed up on something that became a Facebook, but, you know, time will tell. Yeah. But every single time I've walked out with a paycheck and uh, when it comes down to it, that's, mm. that's my goal. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, all, all things considered, without, without thinking about it too hard, just kind of the first thing that pops into your mind, like what is the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Best piece of business advice I've ever seen. Well, don't work for free. <laughs> um, that just comes to mind because of what we were just talking about. Right. Uh, for business advice, uh, I would say the best piece of business advice is something I got from a coworker of mine who, it's funny, I work with this guy. He's a very, very smart guy. He had got his degree from Harvard, but for some reason he's a software developer. Um, and he told me, he told me about validating your idea. And, you know, if you want to start your own business, you've got to do this. You've, you, you can't just assume that your idea is good. You actually should assume that your idea is not good. Mm. And so the best thing that, that I learned from that is, and I haven't put it to use yet, is that uh, you know, if you've got an idea, try to think of the, the quickest way that you can validate whether that idea is actually a good business idea. Um, I look at, uh, and I don't want to get too much into my current job, I guess, but the, the owners of my current company had, had, were very, very smart in the way that they created their company. Mm -hmm. um, they effectively didn't write, I mean, hardly any code at all. They, they, they probably got some contractor off of Upwork uh, to make a little website for them that cost maybe, a, I don't know, $5,000. I'm just guessing off the top of my head. And rather than having a bunch of complicated software behind the scenes actually doing the work, they did the work themselves. They, they physically called people. They, they did, you know, they text messaged people to do whatever, you know, whatever they, they, they made, they, they, they were the software. Right. And, uh, and that actually worked great for them. They validated the idea by doing that. And then they eventually, and once they had the, the idea validated, they got an actual software developer to make the actual code for them. Um, this is brilliant in my opinion. Like this, this is the kind of thing that, that, that people need to do. I think a lot of people, I suspect a lot of people will uh, try to do their business just assuming that it's a good idea and they will waste lots and lots of times developing lots and lots of time and money developing it only to find out that it wasn't a great idea in the first place. Hmm. Oh, that, that's just fantastic. It's like, cause so many people are like, Oh, how's it going to scale? And it's like, well, how, have you even started yet? Like, why are you worried about this scaling thing? Like, right. Tell me that it works first. Yeah. Tell me that your idea is viable. Uh, then I'll tell you how it can scale in theory. Yeah, that, that's excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, who 
just off the top of your head, who is a technology leader that you think people could model success from? I don't follow people much. Okay. So I don't know if I have a great answer to that. The first thing that comes to mind is Robert C. Martin. Um, but and the only reason I say him, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a writer. He wrote a book called Clean Code. Uh, I oh, have no yeah. idea. What is it, Dr. Bob or something like that? Uh, yeah, Uncle, Uncle Bob. Bob. Yeah. Uncle Bob. <laughs> I say him just because uh, he has really, really good advice on how to write code and not, not code yourself into a corner. Okay. Um, I have no idea if he's actually successful or, or is even considered a technology leader, but he's something somebody I look up to. Okay. Um, as far as like technology leaders that I'm aware of, uh, Elon Musk seems like a like he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I work for a guy who used to work for him currently, so uh, he's the guy I work for. Seems to know what he's doing, so uh, I suspect he's got a, a pretty good head on his shoulders, even though he some, tweets some random things every once in a while. Yeah, gets him, gets him in trouble. But. Yeah, cool, man. Um, okay, so there's just a handful of questions here uh, at the end. Um, what is the most important, like marketing or business development book to read this year? You think? Well, obviously, it's my book, <laughs> Minimum Viable Programmer. No. Um, so the best marketing or business book to read besides my book mm -hmm. would be. What have I read lately? Um, Play Bigger is a good book. Excellent, yeah. Um, I forget the author, but uh, it, it's basically, uh, it's a book about creating your own category of, uh, of business. Don't, you know, you don't go into business trying to be the best at, some, at what somebody else is doing. That's mm. what it comes down to. You, you go into business trying to make yourself unique. That's what it is about. Like, you, you know, once you've made yourself unique, you've made your own category, then, uh, then everyone else, you know, you've basically, you're, you're a path setter at that point and uh, people will follow you. Mm -hmm. But if you just go in trying to be better than the next guy, uh, you know, you may or may not succeed. Probably not most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I, I had uh, started reading that book recently. They, it's like Category Kings and they're they like dissecting like how uh, something like, like basically like nobody will ever kept, catch up with Apple on the iPhone or like the smartphone right. market, they're just the king. Like they will never be dethroned is kind of. There is exceptions to that rule. And the okay. first thing that comes to mind is MySpace versus Facebook. Sure. Okay. Right. Yeah. MySpace yeah, was the original mm. right? or one of the originals. And there's ones before that, but so it, it goes both ways. Uh, there's uh, no uh, self-help book is going to be 100% accurate for all situations. Uh, but you just have to find the one that, uh, that kind of fits you best uh, mm -hmm. and go with it. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. I'm always on the hunt for a new read. And uh, you had mentioned uh, uh, some that 5G low latency audio is something that excites you. I had to look this up, but apparently for this, the sound nerds out there, like this is, this is good stuff, right? Yeah. So as a musician, um, you know, I, I, I play with music right and uh, i'm used to playing music uh live you know in a studio with with four or five other actual people right in front of me but since covid happened uh it's become more and more difficult to do that you know okay uh, so I, I started looking and this is this goes into my own personal project i mentioned earlier um i was like how how can we create a software application where people can play quote unquote live together 
And you may not think that that's a difficult thing, but it actually really is. Like currently me and you are on a Zoom call and uh, you know, it seems like we're communicating directly with each other. But the fact of the matter is there's a decent amount of latency between me and you. If we both tried to sing a tune at the same time right now, we'd have a really hard time doing it because mm-hmm. there's 50 milliseconds you know, difference between my signal and your signal. So uh, I think uh, with 5G, with the introduction of 5G, uh, this problem is going away uh, quite a bit. Uh, it's still, it's not going to go away forever or completely rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot the exact calculation, but I did some sort of calculation where in theory with 5G, you could get a connection from one side of the planet to the other side of the planet and get below, I don't know, it was like a hundred milliseconds or something like that, okay, uh, which wow. is close enough to live that you could in theory jam on a guitar or a drum or whatever with somebody on the other side of the planet and actually make that work. Mm-hmm. My goal is to actually make that application that, that does it. And I'm sure other people are working on that as well. Yeah. But uh, this this concept of of being live somewhere else is is intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that, uh, and I don't know if this is ever going to happen in my lifetime, but the the concept of quantum communication using qubits. I'm not sure if qubits is the right term for it, but uh, the concept of using quantum entanglement to transmit data instantaneously fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Then you could literally have direct communication you know real time live with somebody on the other side of the planet or in the future on another planet you know yeah that, that's a that's a thing that i would love to see happen in my huh. life man i just as soon as i looked it up like it's just this is one of the reasons why i love podcasts i am just constantly getting exposed with every new guest it's like i would have never even known the words to plug into google and and uh thank you for sharing that i, I feel like i'm uh, more you know more well-rounded after that so thank you i guess i should plug the app that i haven't built yet um <laughs> it's called zstudio.app uh, okay someday it will become an app that hopefully can do what i was just talking about excellent yeah real it's real-time jamming real-time real-time jamming, jamming. yep cool hey well um we'll make sure folks know how to get a hold of you here um so my my last question for you like all things considered we've talked about all these things what is the message that you want uh, you want the audience to walk away with? Software development is possible for anyone. Uh, I don't care if you think you're dumb. Uh, you can do it. Uh, there's, trust me, there's a lot of dumb people I've worked with. And they seem to get along very well uh, in this business. <laughs> so uh, if you want to uh, do it uh, and you have the, uh, the, the, tenacity to actually go through with it you can you can be successful in it awesome yeah thanks for sharing that and what is the call to action where do people go to find more about you we've got the the book that's on amazon we've got the app what is your call to action here the the platform Um, is yours yeah well i don't really have one particular place i guess the book is probably the first thing to do uh quora i do post a lot on quora yeah um but yeah, I, I, uh, I need to make a, a focal point and I haven't done that yet. Um, I have a URL, which is uh, my, the name of my company that I will c- create someday is called Cherry Blossom Development. I already own the URL, but it doesn't do a whole lot yet. But that's, if you want to know more about me, Google Cherry Blossom Development. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dallas, for uh, joining me on the show and just 
just pouring out your knowledge for the audience. I really enjoyed this experience. Thank you. Thank you. Yep.